episode 11 of just get a real job me and elliot are discussed it and we're gonna try and put two episodes out a week um while we're in lockdown obviously this won't be possible every week but yeah for the next few weeks we're gonna try and do that so yeah i hope you guys enjoyed two episodes a week as i said at the start of last week's episode um i'm gonna try and share some poems and and just bits of writing that i've been working on at the start of an episode just as like a creative outlet for me and just just to force me to write really but um, I don't have anything to share with you guys this week that I've written. However, I thought I would share with you guys one of my favourite uh, quotes, which is by a poet called Renéar Marie Reich. And you guys will know this from, the, if you'd seen Jojo Rabbit, this is the quote they use at the end. Let everything happen to you, beauty and terror. Just keep going. No feeling is final. And I really like that quote, and it's one I've, I keep reading it. I've read it a lot um, during the lockdown, actually, um, just over the last year. It's something I, I often just read to remind myself. I think that's an important lesson that, you know, no feeling is final, and nothing. this isn't going to last forever, and there will be happier times to come. Anyway, so this week's guest is my friend Craig Wilson, who is a very, very talented screenwriter. I think he, he understands story better than most people I've met. Uh, I think he's got a very good grasp of... Uh, a theme and story and he's just a very talented screenwriter um, and we got to sit down and record this episode in real life for a change uh, we recorded this I think on the the 19th of December last year um, and it was the day that like the new strain of Covid had just kicked off so it, yeah that's the it was a weird night but we did this socially distanced and it was just before we recorded the Christmas special which Craig has been on before so this is Craig's second appearance on the podcast anyway I hope you enjoy this week's episode hello Craig how you doing I'm good mate how are you and good. It's nice to record a, an episode face to face. We're obviously socially distancing. This is I'd, I'd class this podcast yes, as work. Yes, yes. We've, so. we've got a we've got a stick in between us that keeps us yeah, apart. Two two meters. How are you doing? Yeah, good. I mean, I suppose the subtext of the conversation is that we've just listened to Nicola give her very abstract rules. So we're we're yeah. kind of just drinking away. Just you know, like yeah. oh, fuck it. Who knows? So this podcast will probably be coming out in January as we're taking a wee break for Christmas. So at the time of recording, it's before Christmas and COVID seems to have taken a bit of a a, a turn again and uh, no one really knows what the fuck the new rules are. So yeah, it's a bit um, touch and go at the moment. Yeah, man, who knows? Anyway, thanks for coming on the podcast, Craig. Obviously, That's um, all right. I'm glad to be here. I've listened to all your ones so far. Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Obviously, well, obviously Craig, you're a screenwriter. Um, <laughs> And you're actually the first guest I've had on the podcast that is solely a screenwriter, because we had Chris, who was an actor and screenwriter, Jonathan, who'd mm. you know, obviously done some screenwriting, etc. But you're actually the only sole screenwriter, so that's going to be exciting to talk a bit more about that. But anyway, as always, before we start with your earliest creative memories. Yeah, well, I've obviously thought about this question because I've listened to all the podcasts, so I know your format a little bit. I've just always enjoyed films, I suppose, and films and TV. Because I grew up initially in kind of like a single parent household and I had multiple primary schools, I had three different primary schools when I was growing up. So friendships kind of, they weren't really all that secure and 
I didn't like football until I was about 11 years old. And so as a boy in working class Scotland, you know, you're kind of a bit, if you don't like football, you're a little bit out there. So I spent a lot of my time just watching films and watching TV shows, Cartoon Network, that kind of stuff. And just trying to keep myself busy. Drawing, building stuff with blocks, all that kind of stuff. I think f film has just been something that's just been in my life since I was, you know, I could make memories since I was like four years old. So, yeah, that's my earliest. Do you remember the first film you ever like properly connected with? So, I think the first one that I really, really loved and watched over and over and over again was Calamity Jane. <laughs> that's a good film. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, My grand loved that. That's a great film. Uh, yeah, Doris Day musical from 1953. I, just, I would watch that film over and over and over again. I loved it. So there was that. There was, you know, the Disney cartoons of the time. Aladdin was a favourite. The Lion King was a favourite. I really liked Beauty and the Beast as well. Didn't really watch The Little Mermaid, to be honest. So there was those. There was just obviously just what was in the household at the time because this was back in the day of VHS. So, you know, my mum or my granny and granddad had the original Star Wars trilogy. Which the, the videotapes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, I used to have those out. Yeah. Love these here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I liked as, at that age, but I didn't love them, I didn't appreciate them sort of thing as much as I do now. So there was those, and then the other sort of maybe live action stuff was all quite musical stuff. So me and my grand would watch The Wizard of Oz. That was always a favourite. Calamity Jane, The Sound of Music. Some, some good movies. Yeah, yeah which I actually haven't watched for... Probably just over 20 years. I don't know if you've seen the sequel. The sequel to The Sound of Music? I am... Um, what the hell am I What are you doing? I was thinking, for some reason, right, my mind went to Mary Poppins. I mean, I, I you know, I, I did like Mary Poppins, but I didn't love it. I don't know why my mind went there. That's, well, Julie Andrews. Yeah, that's she, probably she, she's, in, she's in both. And she does, I mean, they're back to back, and she does sing in both of them. So there was, yeah, Sound of Music, which, you know, it's, a, it's weird for a four or five-year-old to love... Like a three-hour-long musical about yeah. a nun, you know. It's a bit, <laughs> you know. And there was that, and another favorite, another absolute favorite of mine growing up was Matilda. It's a good film. I, well. I love that film, and the book's it, very good too. And I haven't read the book, but really? the film itself was what really got me into reading because I oh, wanted yeah. to, I wanted to have Matilda's powers. I wanted to have. Matilda's Jedi powers, and I honestly thought that reading would give me that that special ability to move things with my mind. That's really interesting. Well, um, for Matilda, I actually so we used to have audio books when we were kids, and my dad would put them on for me and my brothers. And uh, Matilda was one of my favorite audio books because I don't remember who read it, but they did a really good job of it. Mm. And uh, I seen the film after. I didn't see the film until I was a teenager, but. It's a great book and a very good mm. film as well, of course. Yeah. So have you read all of Rodell's stuff? I've read you? the main ones. Yeah. Mine's is like Fantastic Mr. Fox. Yeah, that, I was about to say. But that, I haven't seen the Wes Anderson. You haven't seen that? No, oh, I haven't man. seen it, no. That is a great film. And actually, oh, I know it's Christmas time right now, obviously, when it comes out. It won't be, but I know it's not a Christmas film. But that is, a, I associate that film with Christmas because I watched that for the first time with my family on Christmas Eve. And I love that film because it reminds me of my family and it's just a really nice film. Very good, so get that watch. George Clooney. I know. <laughs> I like George Clooney. No, not in that way. That sounded weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, Craig, I thought that was interesting what you were saying just at the start there about the football thing. Because I, I, I was the same. I didn't like football until I was a teenager. So, yeah. And then growing up in, in working class Scotland, let's say, mm -hmm. you know, that was an odd thing. Because at school, yeah. you didn't sort of play football. You were like a bit of a weird, weird one. I mean, me and, yeah. me and my best friend Liam and, and obviously Elliot, who we all know from the podcast, uh, we would just run about pretending, you know, we'd play games and like, pretend we were other people and characters. Mm -hmm. and, you know, and read and watch films uh, yeah. when everyone else was just, you know, playing football and stuff. Yeah, no, I, I was the same. I never felt like an audible at school, but I think 
because because I did enjoy like running around and I was I wasn't like you know a, a lot of maybe creatives, especially creative males. They they don't feel comfortable in that maybe hyper masculine football sport kind of environment, yeah. and so they never really maybe take up sport. I was always quite good athletically and that kind of stuff. I just found football really boring until I started playing it more and more and more. Mm. And then I developed a love for it. But I was the same. It was um, playing with, you know, once I eventually got kind of settled when I was about seven or eight, we moved to Musselboro and then just playing, meeting other kids and just playing like, and just making up adventures and playing characters and that kind of stuff. Or, you know, I, I was also like that weird kid that I don't know if other people might have seen where they've got like a plastic hockey stick and they're pretending <laughs> that they're Luke Skywalker and they're fighting oh, they're fighting the they're fighting the air and we, you know we used to have bamboo kids <laughs> and we'd make them into swords like Paris Caribbean and me and my best friend and we, and we proper went for it like brilliant <laughs> brilliant so yeah I was that kid that if, if your if your parents ever looked out the window oh, there's that child he's fighting the air again what's, what's he, he, he thinks he's a ninja yeah well that actually you know Segways nicely. I know you just mentioned where you're from, moving to Moscow, but, but where is it you're from originally? So I well, I was actually born in Germany because my biological father was in the army, and so obviously my my mum married at eighteen, which is not advisable. <laughs> Don't ever do that. Yeah, so obviously they were located over there. I was there for two years, and then moved back to Scotland. And I don't, I, th I think kind of at this point of moving back. I think they split up and we lived in Gorgie for the first couple of years, moved to a sort of like half house in Parkhead, not Parkhead Glasgow, but Parkhead, which is in between Sight Hill and Wester Hills. Oh yeah, I know, yeah. So yeah, really moving up in the social ladder there <laughs> and then Musselboro to a little bungalow and then a couple of years after that, moving just only like five minutes away yeah. to, a, to a bigger so house. how did you find the places you grew up influenced your creativity as a, as a youngster? Is that sort of tied to the things you were saying before or is there... Yeah, yeah, probably a little bit. I mean, I, so pro probably just the fact that because maybe the other kids or the other boys as well played football, it didn't interest me. Because, my, and because I grew up in a single parent household for the first maybe five, six years until my the, the guy that I call my dad now, who is my dad, he moved in when I was about, you know, four or five and then my brother was born. So then, you know, I, I, a family started to kind of grow out of that. But when, whilst my mum worked, obviously I couldn't then go to the house. So I would have to either go to like a, like a nursery care or my grand and granddad's on my mum's side. My granny who absolutely loved me and doted on me she just would feed me sweets non-stop, which is not very good, I would say, for like a, a young kid. But they had cable back in the day. They had the cable box, which had, <laughs> which had ca Cartoon Network. So watching all, all that kind of stuff. And I said, just, just because I was moving around mm. a lot, you know, it was just difficult to make friendships because... Yeah. You know, back, it was back in the day when you would have to, if you would meet someone, then to find out where they lived, you'd have to be invited back to their house. Yeah, yeah. And it was back in the day as well that you would basically just turn up at your friend's door. Knock, knock on it, which is uh, it's, it's, it's John is an odd and thing no, to do, isn't in, it? Yeah. <laughs> I, I miss those days. I mean, I, yeah. It, yeah. So, so then, yeah, you know, it was just, that was the way it was. If I didn't have any friends in that kind of area, or if someone was out, then it was just like, okay, well, I'm just going to do my own thing. And well, just, you know, John Cleese actually said some really interesting about that he thinks because he moved about as a child obviously and then mm. you know John Cleese did a lot of great things Folly Towers Monty Python and all that but he has a very good theory which he said if, if the kids that tend to move around 
tend to be more creative when they're older. Yeah. I mean, I didn't move around as I was always in the same house, but I suppose maybe we travelled a bit, which maybe helped, and I feel like I got to see the world mm. in some ways, like, not so much abroad travel, but just sort of my dad would take me out to do things a lot, which maybe helped creatively growing up, but... Yeah, I think there's definitely something in that, kids that maybe move house and move around a lot. I'm sure that must influence creativity a lot. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think there's any right or wrong way to nurture creativity or anything like that, but I think, you know, if, if you're in that situation like myself or that John Cleese is talking about, then as a kid, to keep yourself occupied, you know, you have to seek out ways to keep yourself entertained because when you're six years old, five minutes feels like two days. Of course. You know, so, and boredom is a great way of actually kicking yourself into gear. So, yeah. Do you think there's a problem now where people aren't bored enough? Yes, 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 absolutely. <laughs> I think when you, and I say that with certainty just because I, I've experienced it myself, where if you feel that even just an inkling of boredom for a minute, you immediately go into your phone. I'm the worst for it, I'm yeah. terrible. I'm, well, I mean, it'll be January by the time this will be out, so we'll see if I'm sticking to this, but my New Year's resolution is going to be trying to use my phone less, but yeah. I find that I never let my mind wander enough. Yeah, and, and letting your mind wander is sometimes how the best ideas come. You know, Especially as a writer. That's what, yeah, that's, that's what they say, sh you know, shower ideas. You know, I mean, I try and, like, obviously not think about stuff too much when you're lying in bed, because I don't know if you've ever had this where maybe something clicks when you're trying to sleep, and you get so excited about the idea <laughs> all the time that you're just like fuck now I can't sleep and then you, you end up writing it down because I don't want to forget this but then you end up running through the scenarios over and over again in your I head. tend to find anything I write down at late at night in the morning it's usually nonsense ah well I mean yeah yeah I mean a, a, a lot of stuff is going to be nonsense but I mean that's okay that's okay yeah. but yeah no definitely I mean I think I'm the same like I I mean I, I listen to more audiobooks now like I listen to probably a good at least maybe 20 audiobooks a year, but I don't read anywhere near as much as I used to because I, and, and when you calculate the amount of time that you spend on social media, you know, because a lot of times we, we say we don't have enough time to do this stuff, we do. We just choose to go. We, we just go on Instagram or, or I mean, I, I love YouTube in all honesty because you can still learn stuff from YouTube. And uh, podcasts as well. Yeah, and it's visual. And I, and I understand, I, I think actually reading is perhaps could even be like unnatural mm. a little bit to you know for because I, I think humans are by and large visual yeah and 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 sitting down in front of paper with just black text i can understand why a lot of people might go don't want to do that but then i think i think boredom is a is a, a is a necessary thing for actually being productive yeah and i think we're forgetting as a society how to be bored probably because yeah. you know they, they don't want us to be bored they want us to no. Give us something to fill the day. Well, just a quick question this we're going to start adding on to the podcast, which is, is do you have a favourite word from where you're from? So do you have a favourite Scottish word? Fuck. Just fuck. Just fuck. <laughs> because I just say it all the time. I just, you just say, you end up finding yourself, and I think so many people like, think that I'm being aggressive or being snidey or something like that. I just say fucking to like stuff where yeah. it just, and it just sounds angry. And it just goes into what uh, the great sort of little bit that Fred Macaulay has gone on about, about language and Scots and just the word fuck, it just suits our pattern, suits our voice. And so I don't know, yeah, to me it just doesn't feel like a swear word anymore, it just, it's just a way of speaking. So I would probably just say, yeah, fuck. <laughs> That's a good answer. Right, nice and blunt. That's and a just... good answer. Because you know, sometimes boo just isn't enough. <laughs> Well, sort of moving on to when you're a bit older. So you went and done a degree in English literature at Stirling, didn't you? Yeah. And so, you, I mean, Ty, you said you loved reading as a kid and stuff. So was that sort of the thought there? Did you want to be a writer? Did you just like English? Yeah. So, yeah, I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to do a lot of 
I wanted to do writing. And the the degree at Stirling for English was one of the best rated in Britain. It was actually a joint degree initially. It was English and global cinema and culture. Okay. I didn't want to do media studies because it sounded boring as fuck. And I actually did a module <laughs> of media studies and it was it was horrific. It was just really tedious, really boring. And unfortunately, I think after second year is when they started going into like film stuff and people being allowed to do stuff with a camera, which really annoyed me. Because you felt like you missed the boat. Yeah, a little bit. But then the global cinema and culture, (laughs) unfortunately, as I did enjoy it, but then I ended up dropping it. It was a course, it was one of those courses that people just took to make up the credits. Which is really annoying because when you're kind of actually, there's certain stuff that you're watching and you're engaging with and people are just come to class not having a discussion, not taking it seriously. You just feel like a bit of a joker, you know. But through that I got to watch some outstanding films, you know, M by Fritz Lang, just tremendous. Um, La Grande Illusion, which is the uh, a French film, basically like the original Great Escape. That was brilliant. And yeah, just, just some other stuff. Some other really boring stuff as well. French cinema. <laughs> <laughs> some of it's good, but... So, so, uh, like, Amelie is a great film. And film. I, I, I haven't delved a great deal into French cinema because I was scarred by my experience of mm. the global, <laughs> the global yeah. cinema catalogue. But, oh, fuck me. Liv, Liv loves it. <laughs> she loves French cinema. Yeah. So <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll leave that to her. <laughs> but no, I mean, um, so yeah, I wanted to do writing, and, and this just goes back to, again, I think childhood stuff, is that I always loved creating stories, I always loved to write, and it's always something that I felt quite naturally good at, and that whenever those kind of tasks came along in school, I really, really looked forward to that, you know, even if it was like I'd left it to the last minute, I still felt like I could pull a decent story out of my ass, you know what I mean, which is then kind of frustrating because then when you get good marks, yeah, you know, oh man, if I actually just gave this a little bit more time and attention, I could have got tremendous marks. <laughs> and and that's been a problem that I've had throughout my life, actually, with writing, is just thinking, oh, I, I, I can do this really well, just like that, and just not actually dedicating enough time to the craft oh, of making same. complex stories. And so, yeah, I wanted to go to Stirling to more learn about that, but unfortunately, the English degree only had two at the time, I don't know if it's different now, had two creative writing modules. Basically introduction or beginner creative writing and then a more advanced one. And then I did for my dissertation I did a creative writing piece which basically secured me my two one because I just I, I did the bare minimum. Do you remember my... what it was about? <laughs> oh, so probably just classic stuff. The kind of thing that I just hate now. There, there, there's a little bit about Frank Sinatra in there, and oh, there's yeah. a little bit about someone coming back home and a dysfunctional family oh, and, yeah, and, yeah. and meeting a girl that they previously liked in a pub and stuff like that. Just the kind of stuff that I hate <laughs> the now. The stuff that you now slag <laughs> Yeah, just like, I just don't ever want to read it Doesn't again. Sound very like you. But <laughs> well, it goes to show what I was like when I was twenty. So yeah, you, you um, developed. Yeah, <laughs> but I suppose the degree did teach me about you know having to read, you know, some really great material, analysing it, you know, seeing how the greats did it, you know, how Dickens and Jane. I love Jane Austen. Do you do you have a favourite book actually? 
That's a really hard question. So you can maybe give it's a not, it. It isn't. It's just the fact that I have an English degree and yet my level of you know the books that I've read is just not as good as it should be. It's it's films for me. I, I, I'm the exact same. You know I, what I mean? I've recently got back into reading it towards the end of the year, but yeah. like I don't read enough more than I should read more. I mean, I'm a huge Lord of the Rings fan, and Lord of the Rings was a big thing for it's me. It's a very good book. Though. You know, and then I read when I was about fifteen, sixteen. I read His Dark Materials. Oh, wow. Which blew me away and broke my heart. If if people don't know where season three is going, get your get your tissues ready for when that comes along because that that crushed. I, me. I haven't watched the TV series yet. Neither I've have I. I've heard it's very good. Neither have I. Been meaning to watch it. But those when I read those, I was like, this is better than Lord of the Rings. And I say it ends. The third book ends on such a. It's so heartbreaking. You know, I've actually only, I've only read the first one, which my dad read to me. Is it the Golden yeah. Compass, the first one? Uh, that's the film the book is Northern Lights Northern Lights my dad read that to me as a child and I've never read the other two and I really yeah. need to no they're, they're, they're tremendous uh, and I've got the, the first two sequels that Pullman's done Book of Dust and the other one but I haven't delved into them yet so those are my favourite and probably I really love Pride and Prejudice I've read it three times I'm, I haven't read it it's, Jane Austen is just wonderful she's got such an amazing way with words I love her stuff, and I love. I, I really, really like the the Joe Wright Pride and Prejudice, the Kira Knightley. Mm. I actually think it's really good. I don't really like Kira Knightley as an actress, but I think she's really fucking good. As... I've only ever seen a bit of the BBC, one of the BBC adaptions, of probably more than one. I don't even yeah. remember who, who did that one, but I've seen some of that. Yeah. I've watched it in my undergrad, but no, I've never actually got into Pride yeah. and Prejudice enough. I really should. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's, it's like de- de- definitely. I mean, even if you don't want to read it, get the audiobook. Yeah. If you get if you get Audible, just just listen to it. No, I think I will get the audiobook of that. Actually, yeah, I, I like. I was you were saying earlier about audiobooks. I, I like an audiobook as well. Some mm. people are kind of snobby about them, but I, I quite like an audiobook. It depends what the book is. Yeah, I mean, I love history. I don't know if you know that about me, Jimmy. No, Dev, you mentioned it. I, lo- I love I love history, and I love learning about new things. I mean, the thing about history is that it's terrible, but it's, it's amazing to sort of learn about and see how much people can persevere when they have to. And so audiobooks are brilliant for that, because sometimes... Oh, they really are good for that. Re- reading, you know, historical stuff, biographies, autobiographies can be... It can be a bit tedious. It's not exactly page-turning, but if you're actually listening to it, it's, it's, I think it's much easier to, to digest. But I have, yeah. I've, I've recently started listening to a bit more fiction. I listened to... It was the Monster Collection, and I've read Dracula and Frankenstein, but I hadn't read Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, and that was narrated by Richard Armitage, and he's fucking brilliant, man. His, his voice, yeah. his vocal control is just amazing, <laughs> and it was just so good to read that I, I ended up getting the, the David Copperfield that he's done, which is 36 hours. But I ha- and I haven't listened to it yet, but I, I will because just listening to him is just like I really enjoyed a Mandu Nietzsche film of that. That was really I really enjoyed mm. that the version he did. But no, in, in regards to audiobooks, actually, I really like autobiographies on audiobook because mm. especially when it's the person that's written it, reading it out. Yeah. So like Robert Webb's, um, I think it's how not to be a how to be a boy or something. He read that, and I read, he was brilliant doing that book, for example. So yeah, the yeah. audiobooks are I've got a brilliant you know they're definitely a place for them in culture. I'd say yeah. So you graduate the English degree, right? Yeah. Uh, and what year is that? It was complicated because I actually kind of had a bit of a tough time in uni with, with, with some things. And, and I, I didn't choose to, you know, because there was a joint degree and I didn't really choose to cut it down. It was a case of, I was kind of struggling and I 
ended up choosing a module that I shouldn't have chosen and I failed that and because I failed it then it kind of put my degree in jeopardy mm-hmm. and uh, in third year I was very close to just packing uni in and just saying uh, I, I don't want to do this anymore I just want to go home but then yeah I think over that Christmas period I kind of dug deep a little bit and found a little bit of resolve and just decided you know what I, I, I want to do this I want to do this proper I want to get my honours and basically I peeled and the the, <laughs> the 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 woman there was a woman who uh, and I never met her face to face it was only through emails that I had to appeal to and basically say look I was going through a tough time blah 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 and I had a sort of reference from a counsellor that I was seeing who worked at the uni and that kind of stuff and she was like sent it was about three emails of like she was basically just saying no it doesn't matter the results are what they are you know you're just gonna have to accept it and that kind of stuff and I just said please just give me another shot and eventually she caved in and then I was allowed to do the, the degree in full so which you know I was happy with and then I came out of uni just thinking Right, I feel like now the world's my oyster. And then didn't fucking do anything with it. <laughs> so you just sort of went and worked for your, it was your uncle? You yes, were. yeah. So in between uni, you know, when you, because I went to Stirling because I, I wanted to get away from home, but not too far away. You know, yeah. I, I wanted a bit of independence. And, you know, it was close enough that if, if something was really bad or whatever, you know, I could just get the train home. A bit like me with Edinburgh. Five, yeah. yeah. So there was, if, if work was there, so I remember it was like my first year I came back and my uncle who owns a plumbing company, he does the, the bathroom suites, so you rip out old bathrooms and we'll install new ones, said, well, rather than stand there, I'm doing a shop for eight hours. Do you want to just come work for us? And I said, yeah, sure, great. So I did that a couple of times. And I say when there was work, there was like one summer where there, was, there wasn't any work. And so I had to get a job in Domino's. And yeah, and then when I came out of uni, went back to doing that and I've just, I've been there for, that's full time now since I was what, 21? So wow. we're, 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 we're almost going to nine years. So. Oh my God. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Well, I mean, you have been doing other things as, well, as I'm sure we'll get to. So <laughs> what, sort of, in terms of writing, what are you doing at this point? So when you first start working there, what are you been sort of doing? As in when I, when so, I. But sort of like the first few years of your graduation, are you doing any writing at that point? No. <laughs> <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing a lot of thinking about writing. You know, that's, you know, that, that's I've been doing that for three months since I graduated, mate. It's a great, yeah. it's a great method. I, I'm doing a lot of thinking. I did, for a little while, try and do like a little blog and do film reviews. Because I did film reviews for my student newspaper. And then eventually just, I kind of stopped doing that. Which I wish I hadn't, because it was it's really good for just keeping... I mean, you were talking about this the other week with Johnny. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's actually a really good way of just keeping yourself busy and if you don't have anyone to have those discussions with then it's good to actually just write it down and get it down on paper. Oh, no, film, film reviewing is very fun. I just got to a point with it myself where I felt like I wasn't adding anything to the discussion yeah, yeah. because I felt like I just tend to go and review something which I like. I was never given bad reviews because at this, you know, Liam, my flatmate who's a journalist, he gave me advice. He said, never give a bad review at the start of your career because people would just like, piss off. Hmm. So like I felt like I would never go and slate anything, especially some of the stuff I was reviewing, like you know theater shows, which were maybe mm-hmm. people at the same level of their career as me. I didn't. I would never go and slide them off. So I was always yeah. giving like five star reviews, which some of them were legit. Yeah. But sometimes you're just like saying the same thing again and again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's also I feel the danger of because I follow quite a few people on Instagram and that kind of stuff who will maybe do that because they love films as well, and I'm like I can just see that you're just you know 
I think it is your opinion, but you're also just saying the same stuff as what the film reviews are. Yeah, you know, yeah, if, yeah. if you're a fan of Mark Kermode, then you're just kind of repeating his stuff. Which I know? felt I was always doing. <laughs> <laughs> no, so you're doing the film review stuff, right? Yeah. And then, because obviously we met on the intro to uh, screenwriting course, yeah. which we'll come to shortly, but... I remember you telling me when we met, you were doing some writing before that, so you, did you try to write a film at that point? Oh yeah, oh fuck yeah. So I did, I, I, I wrote a first draft of something, and uh, I, I didn't have final draft at the time, so I wrote it on like Microsoft Word. And which is just a disaster. Oh man, I, I wrote, used to write plays on Microsoft oh, Word. I don't know how we ever did it now with the software we oh, have. Oh man, like that. it's just exactly. chaos. It, chaos. It, it is chaos. Having to like get the character name in there, space bar across and yeah. all that. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I listened to the, I've just started properly listening to the Script Notes podcast, you know, Craig Mason and John Very August. Good podcast. And you know, Craig Mason says, you know, nah, get final draft, proper writer. The best final investment draft. you'll ever make as a writer, I'm, I'm sick, we're both, me and Craig are both telling this. Get final draft. It's worth the hundred pounds if you're lucky enough to get the student one. I think it's what two hundred if you're not a student. Something it's like worth the investment. You get it forever and it's brilliant. It so yeah, I wrote that, but it was only on Microsoft Word. It would translate to more pages on final draft, but it was only fifty six pages. And it basically just started off with an idea that I had. I had an idea of like a strong emotional thing and an ending, and I just went. I'm just going to start writing. I'm just going to write it out because a lot of you know successful writer directors. That's the advice they give. Tarantino's a big one about that. People like, you know, Stanley Kubrick and that, they're like, you know, you just, you have to write and you have to let the story find its way and let the characters find a way and the themes come out of that. Bullshit. Yeah, outline. Outline and discover, like, if, if you want to tell a, a story a certain way, you, I think you need to know what it is thematically first. See, this, what this you're is talking about. Kind of, well, I wouldn't say we differ because I total, I think yeah. your advice is brilliant and, I, and actually, as a writer, so something... Bullshit, Jamie, I'm walking out. Something, <laughs> something I need to get better at myself. As a writer, you'd actually give me some brilliant advice and resources for this. Is, For example, I did my major project. I did outline it, but mm. not as in-depth as you, and I, I did run into some problems. And I'm slightly different style of writer. I tend to be quite dialogue-driven writer. Mm. So it's my way of starting a script is I'll just write a scene, characters start talking, and it builds from there. Yep. Which, as you just pointed out, is very, can be very difficult if you've got <sighs> for a story-wise. And you know, my plots are never as good as my characters, so that's mm. something I struggle with. So I, that's an interesting point you make. Yeah, well, it's, it's just, you can do that if you want to go down the route of, you know, you just write and you just let stuff flow and let stuff happen. But for me, it's like, that just, it takes so long to get that right. And it, it's so difficult to then go back and sort it all out and redraft it and all that kind of stuff. And it just, to me, it just, it's so bloody difficult and you get so lost. I got to page 40 of writing this story and I was like, I've got no fucking clue where to go now. And I'm basically meant to be at the start of Act 3. And I'm like, how can I only be at Act 3? I'm, I'm, I've only done 40 pages. And, you know, I mean, like the Coens, they do it that way. But it's like, I think they go for, the, they find it really frustrating because, but then they make it work because they, they're the Coens and they've got the time and the money to do it. But like, I think, I can't remember which film it, I don't know if it was Miller's Crossing or something else, but they started writing something, got to page 40, and they got so fucking stuck, and they were just like, right, we're going to start writing something else, and they did start writing something else. And that, to me, is just torture. I hate yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And it just, it's like starting a road journey with no fucking plan. And, and I just think, because I've always hated plans, funnily enough. When we're, at, when we're at school writing essays and all that kind of stuff, 
I remember my fifth or sixth year, she was my fifth and my sixth year teacher, really trying to push for me to plan my essay before I started it. And I did one time and I wrote the best essay that I'd written, did the same thing at uni once when I actually planned out what the fuck I was going to write and I got the best grade because you end up waffling, you end up running out of things to say and then you end oh, up I'm repeating yourself. I'm, a, I'm great at waffling, I waffle on this podcast oh. all the time as well. So, so and, and the same thing, I, I just think there's so many things that like if you don't do things with a plan, you just end up getting stuck really, really quickly and it can be really difficult to find your way out of. Like, if you, you could, for example, start, I'm going to run a marathon and I'm just going to train for it by running as much as I can. <laughs> or... You could follow a plan that has been set out by people who have also ran marathons, right? This is the best way to do it. And you maximise your time, your effort, your energy. And it's, it's just, there's so many things in life where it's like, to, if you know, if you do it without a plan, like a road journey. And people will say, oh, but if you outline it's too mechanical and you lose the, you know, the organic nature of it all. Which I just think is bollocks because you can change an outline. You know, an outline is just you basically telling yourself, right, okay, the character's made this decision and this is going to be the consequences. And you can change those actions that they take and the choices that they take in the outline. But if you've written 30 pages and you're like, this is a completely different film than I thought it was going to be and I now need to go back to page one. And people are like, oh, that's fine. But we're not, at the moment, anyway... We're not Aaron Sorkin, we're not the Coens, we're not Quentin Tarantino. We don't have that luxury right now. Yeah. We're also having to work and we're also, you know, still learning our craft. And I just think as well, if, if you're going into TV writing, you have to outline. So you don't have a choice. So you yeah, might as well just fucking do it. You're definitely right. And I mean, outlining something I really personally need to get better at and need to do more. But we'll come back to a lot of this more technical range because I know you've got great stuff to say. And I've, I've oh, got thank you. Got, thank you. I'm, I've, yes. I've got a few good questions. I'm not graduated yet, but I am, I'm no, a master are, in what no, I have to are, say. But you, are, <laughs> but you are very... No, but, you know, no, without all jokes aside, Craig, I think you are very good at like, the technical aspect of writing. I think mm. you really do understand story better than a lot of the, my you know writing colleagues. And yeah. You're one of the people I, I do like to get advice from and stuff. But just to sort of steer the conversation forward a wee bit, um, we meet on the introduction to screenwriting course. Yep. Which, so what was the sort of thinking for you doing that? Um, well, I applied to the Masters and I didn't get in. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, I think it was a mixture of things. I think, I mean, I don't think, I'm not sure if uh, application deadlines matter, but I basically, I sent in my application for the Masters like the day before it was, the, the deadline was due to close. And I also sent in 10 pages of that script that we were just talking about that was on Word. Yeah. And so, I don't know if, if it was, I mean, I spoke to, when I had, I had my interview with James, and he was like, you know, well, maybe it was, you know, it's probably just because deadline and that kind of stuff, but, you know, it wouldn't, I mean, looking back, it wouldn't surprise me that they just looked at it and went, fucking hell, nope, this guy. Probably just the technical aspect of it, Yeah, maybe, or maybe it was the deadline, maybe it was the fact that, you know, they'd already had, you know, their, their quota of applicants, yeah. and they'd already made decisions, you know. So then, yeah, um, I got basically a rejection from that and just saying, well, maybe if you tried the intro course. So then I thought, yeah, I'll go give that a try. And, you know, I felt like on the intro course, didn't necessarily learn anything new about story and how to tell story through film. But, you know, stuff like formatting which, which is really, essential, really helped. Which is yeah. Essential, yeah. 
really it comes second nature now like regardless of my level of an understanding of story i feel format wise i just know i can just write you a script formatically like that because i've done the masters i've yeah. done the intro code and final draft does it and for final us draft does it for you, which is another thing there is other little things that you'd have to yeah. think about so i think yeah. because formatting was always something i got such a twist about and then you listen to the script notes podcast and craig yeah. mason they're all they're like who gives a fuck you know, yeah. they're, they're like, you know, obviously keep it to a certain standard, but at the end of the day, if people are saying, you know, oh, you shouldn't write we see and we hear and all that kind of stuff, mm. then it's like, if people are that picky about it, then they just don't like your story. Yeah. And so, I mean, this final draft is awesome. And not, it was just as well wanting to be around, and, and a big reason of why I'm doing the Masters was to be around people who love and appreciate film and TV yeah. the way that I do. Because everybody loves films and everybody loves to talk about films. But then when you love the technical aspects of it and you know how films are like kind of made and you're like talking about stuff of like maybe behind the scenes and all the other stuff, like me and Level, like we're watching Apocalypse Now and just having almost heart attacks thinking, my God, like the amount of stuff that's going on in this shot no wonder Francis Ford Coppola wanted to kill himself because it's just like trying to organise all these things for the timing of this shot. You're just like, oh my God. But then, you know, not everyone feels that way. Everyone, a lot of people are just, oh, well, I just enjoyed the emotion of it. But I also like, I love about how films are made as well. Yeah, no, that's such a good like reason to do a course as well. Because some people say, should I do a master? Should this? Obviously, it depends on your circumstances and stuff. But one of the best things is getting to be about all these like-minded people that have similar things in common to you and having and getting to talk about film. I mean, we all like always geek out. I think like our friend group and stuff. And I, I love it. I love mm. being around all these people. And I mean, I, I love doing this podcast, getting to speak about it all of like this. Yeah. Hi guys, hope you're enjoying this episode of Just Get A Real Job. If you're really enjoying the podcast, remember to follow us on all streaming platforms. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, remember to give us a review. We really do appreciate your support, so remember to share this with your friends and family so they too can enjoy the next episodes of Just Get A Real Job. And now, back to the show. Um, so obviously, as you just said, we, we, we both actually go and do the masters at the same time because we after in the course we were the only two people from the course that did that. Yeah, yeah. So we were sort of like you know the first day me and Craig were like oh we'll yeah yeah you know. we, yeah everybody thought we were best friends. And I, I was like, like no I can't stand this guy just get <laughs> <laughs> I was like I, I just didn't want to be a loner. <laughs> so we we do the the masters at the same time obviously Craig. Um, I know but you I know you did it part time so yeah. you're still there now. So how, how have you found that so far? Just quickly. Initially it was really weird. Initially, because of COVID, and the Masters is effectively like almost like two degrees, where you've got the screenwriters and then you've also got the filmmakers, which can be producers, directors, editors, blah, blah, yeah. blah. Because of COVID, there's no filmmakers, so it's just scriptwriters. And for the first part of the course, it was all on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And then there was like three classes where they actually managed to come in class and then sit at a single desk, you know, two to three metres apart <laughs> from each other. Which was better because it, it felt a bit more like doing a master's again, doing a degree yeah. again. And it, I think it's just weird when you're... Because last year, I felt a real excitement and a real buzz about just, just starting something new. And being you know? around new people yeah. and liking it, yeah. Yeah, and it was like, you know, you had that first couple of weeks where, you know, we'd go do class, we'd go for, to the pub after and have a chat and all that kind of stuff. And then, you know... And then you're 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 doing work together, and you're you know people are like, oh, okay, that was really good, or I really you know I'd love to make that. And then this year that just doesn't exist, so it's kind of it's weird. But I mean the 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 people on the screenwriting course this year they're all they're all really really lovely. Unlike Johnny, I haven't sat in for like the the script workshop stuff. I need to work as well. Obviously. Yeah, 
but I have seen like, like we did do like pitching with John Archer and that kind of stuff, and all the ideas were really really good. You know, so yeah, that, that's good. I mean, just because you have a good idea doesn't mean that you're a necessarily a good screenwriter or a good storyteller. Yeah. But it's always a good, it's a good, it's a good sign. It's a good starting point yeah. that people are like saying stuff where you're like, yeah, I watched that. And just before we go on, because I've got some more script, you know, scripty questions to ask you. Just before that, we'll talk about, and I think this might be the last time Ken gets mentioned on the podcast. And you're welcome. What? What's that? I feel like this podcast has become a sort of promo for you. It's for, been a free promo for Ken, yeah. Yeah, so you're all it's welcome. Awesome. You, you know, the, I'm just not to to be pointed, but the Ken Instagram official account has never actually plugged my podcast, and I feel like they owe me, so just a wee nudge for them to maybe promote this. <laughs> yeah. but, um, so obviously, Craig, you, you wrote Ken, so it's your baby, I suppose. So would you mind telling us a bit about the process of that? Yeah. So basically, it started with, well... So you'll know, Jamie, that when we... Basically, the second assignment that we got as part of the screenwriting course was to do uh, 20 ideas. Yeah. And this idea was in one of them. And it's based on a true story that my dad often cites when he gets into political debates, which basically, you know, anything to do with Margaret Thatcher. And my dad hates Margaret Thatcher because he's a working-class Scottish man who grew up uh, in the you 80s. Know, you know, which, yeah, is what he's saying. <laughs> and he always goes on about this story of, like... You know, because of her, I'll never fucking forget watching these two brothers can fight over can what she did and all that kind of mm. stuff. And I just thought, can there's a there's a story in this. There's a story in the idea of two brothers who are like best mates, basically kicking lumps out of each other over disagreements about a, a stance on on the strikes and that kind of stuff. And that, so, in my twenty ideas, this was one of them, and it was an idea that. Pretty much, I mean, we were all in groups of five at the time, or six, but everybody in my group, every, they all singled out that idea as like, that's a really, really good so one. So you sort of knew it had legs. Yeah, well, to me it just seems like a good idea anyway. Yeah, it is. Uh, maybe not necessarily for a short, which we'll get into, you know, it, it might deserve more room to breathe than what I've given it, which is an issue with that I've found with my writing so far, because so far we've done only short stories, mm. or short films on, on the course, but... Yeah, that's something that it's, a, it's an idea that everybody in my group was like, yeah, that's really good. And, you know, tell that to other people in the course, oh, that's really good. And love, love the idea. I mean, it's handy to have a girlfriend as a director, isn't it? So yes, that's that's the way to do it. Sleep, <laughs> sleep of the talent. That's, that's how to do it. Of course, Liv was the first ever guest in this podcast. So, you know, first ever couple on the podcast, I just quickly I know. acknowledge that. That's, couple, that's but, good. you know, separating right now. <laughs> Anyhow. So, so yeah, she she loved the idea, and then I got time to like doing the the ten minute sort of ideas. And Liv said to me, you know, you know, if 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 you write a script for this, I'd like to like to make it. Um, and you know, it's set in the eighties, and she's got a real love for the eighties, the eighties aesthetic, and that kind of stuff. So it kind of ticked all the boxes for her. And so yeah, I just sat down and kind of wrote it out, and it was good. I, I, I really like it. It kind of it grew some extra legs that I didn't think of initially, which was really good. So I wanted to as well give Liv something you know that would maybe push her a little bit as well because she's still quite young and experienced as a director, and it's like wanted to give her something and give Delilah something and all that kind of stuff. But it's like gonna test them because it's 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 basically <laughs> a lot of it is just people sitting at a dinner table. And I say, okay, how do you make this look good? You know, fucking here you go. You know, it's a, quite quite a challenge. 
you know, so at the same time as, as wanting to create a good story, it was like, you know, wanting to give something that Liv could sink her teeth into creatively and especially with the actors, you know, because she's really great with actors. It's one of her bigger strengths. She really is. She's yeah. really good at working with actors, you know, and she's really good at communicating. You know, I realised that when, because I was the boom up on her one minute film, The Journey. The Journey, which, yeah. I was and I was so, so real fucking impressed with with her on that, you know, and just how she talked to everyone, talked to the actors specifically, and, you know, she really likes working with actors, and I just wanted to give her something that she could really sink her teeth into that would also challenge her, so, yeah. And I'm, I hope I've done that. No, it's, I mean, I've read the script, and I really like it, um, and I've not seen the film yet, but I look forward to it. Mm. Um, maybe by the time this comes out, the film might be finished, and, you know, I might have seen it, which yeah. would be nice. Yeah, so I've got a few questions about the writing stuff now, just mm. to ask you. So, one thing... Which I actually meant to ask some of the other writers that've been on, and I, I just we just ended up getting sidetracked. But what do you have like a, a sort of a schedule for how you write it? Do you have like a sort of routine? That's the word I'm looking for. Do you have a, a writing routine? Like what works best for you? Because I know everyone's different. Yeah, I suppose if I'm gonna like dedicate myself to something, then yeah, I mean I like to if I'm gonna write stuff or be creative, I think the best time to do it is sort of in the morning. There is like actual like scientific evidence for how fresh your brain is sort of in the morning time when it's rested right after sleep, you know, because I used to do that with my exams. I used to do all my revision in the morning yeah. so that I could relax in the afternoon sort of thing. So I like to try and do it as much as I can maybe before lunchtime. I, I, I just, I don't like to try and do too much because if, unless you're in a flow and, and you, you feel like you can't stop, but if you try and force it, if you've like, if you've written three or four pages and you're like trying to force something out, it just doesn't work for me. You just get a bit stuck and you get frustrated and you end up walking away anyway. So I'd r I would rather write three really good pages, be happy with that, and then just continue on and maybe think about it a little bit during my day and think about where I'm going to go next and that kind of stuff. So yeah, I just try and... I don't believe in this whole, yeah, you have to write eight hours a day and all this kind of no, stuff. Maybe, no, if you're, maybe if you write novels, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Like, I think two or three hours is usually the most I will ever get anything good because you get to a point where you're just writing terribly, you're just writing yeah. absolute gash. It depends. If you have a deadline coming up, I suppose you could maybe have to do a bit more. But I think the morning thing's true as well. I, I, I'll agree with that. Um, I found whenever I've written scripts that if I've sort of got up late, I'm on the, I already feel I'm on the back foot. Yeah. Because I, I feel in the afternoon, there's more distractions in the afternoon because more people are about in the it's, afternoon. It's the afternoon is a social time as well. Yeah. You know. So I think the morning is for me as well. Yeah. No, that, that's interesting. And, and thanks for answering that because a lot of that's a very common question people ask me. Do you got any tips for your routine? So I feel like people might want to hear that. Another question is, who's your big influence as a screenwriter? Do you have any screenwriters you look up to? So just to go back, Jerry, I would say consistency as well. Do mm. do stuff consistency because you'll be amazed how quickly the pages can mount up if you're just consistent. Um, is it, I don't know if I have necessarily one because every person who creates, they've all got something terrible in their locker. You know, they've... they've <laughs> I mean, even like, like my my basically hero of like cinema. When when you say the word cinema, I think of Steven Spielberg, and he's got some duds. You know what <laughs> I mean? So everybody's got something bad. It's more just a case of if there's elements or if there's a, a particular story or a particular film script, whatever, that's just outstanding. And you know, because some people have like a they have their trends, but 
I, f I find it difficult to find one person that I just think, oh yeah, I want to be like them. I, I try and find the best out of different people. So, I mean, I really love Aaron Sorkin, but everything he does is very, very dialogue oriented, yeah. which I love. I love. But we're, you know, that that <laughs> that's something that a lot of because I've done it, and it's a lot of what amateur and student writers try to do. They try and write really complex or jazzy dialogue like Tarantino and Aaron Sorkin and they just can't do it they no. just end up sounding ridiculous and you know then the thing is, is that film is visual so think visually first I, I watched a lot of uh, a couple of Buster Keaton films during lockdown and it's like if, if, if you can tell a story without sound without dialogue through the visuals I mean I know Buster Keaton is, is still it's very exaggerated some of the acting but if you can do that if you can write action dramatic action first and have the dialogue be like seasoning, you know, then that's great. But I, I, I mean, I still think Anna Sorkin's dialogue is just something to like, kind of aspire to. Oh, the opening of the social network, it's just it's yeah. It's just yeah. like, yeah. yeah, it's just amazing. First, an awful lot of people live in China, but here's my question. How do you distinguish yourself in a population of people who all got 1600 on their SATs? I didn't know they take SATs in China. They don't. I wasn't talking about China anymore. I was talking about me. You got a 1600? Yes. I could sing in an acapella group, but I can't sing. Does that sing. mean you actually got nothing wrong? I could row crew or invent a $25 PC. Or you get into a final club? Or I get into a final club. You know, from a woman's perspective, sometimes not singing in an acapella group is a good thing. This is serious. On the other hand, I do like guys who row crew. But that's because he's a playwright. Yeah. And actually, if you're talking about someone that, I've, that I find inspirational, it's probably Arthur Miller. Arthur Miller is just absolutely tremendous. I love Death of a Salesman. Death of a Salesman. I actually, my favourite of his is uh, All My Sons. Not read that one. It's just, it's just brilliant. It. And it's, it's, it's a big inspiration for Ken. Arthur Miller is just um, genius at... His stories are usually about like the American family. Mm. But... They're delved into like social, political, economic, you know, themes and ideas and and backdrops. So it might be about a family like all my sons, but it's also about, you know, capitalism and the Second World War and profiteering off of war and that kind of stuff. And he uses family as a way of talking about those kind of things. And that's what I wanted to do with Ken. You know, so it is it's a family drama set against Margaret Thatcher's Britain, Margaret Thatcher's, it's not her Scotland, but she has a big yeah, influence in Scotland. Yeah. And then also religious tensions in Scotland, mm -hmm. you know. So, you know, it's about using the family to talk about all those different things. And that's what I mean when I say that I feel like you need to write down, you need to think about what you want to talk about thematically first, you know, rather than thinking, oh, I'll just write, a, I'll start writing some dialogue or I have an idea for a scene and let it all kind of work out from that. Because you could come up with a premise and a lot of premises, you might go, well, I've, I've seen that a million times. But then the actual way that they tell the story is what's unique. And I just think, if you don't have that figured out first, it's just it's just a tortuous process, I feel, yeah, I, to I get there. You know, no, so. I, I, I would agree with that as well, yeah. My last sort of very technical question is, do you have any... I mean, I'll ask you for tips at the end, as always, but is it like a, a book or anything that's helped you in your screenwriting journey, like understand things like theme or you know anything like that uh yeah well there's a couple but there's two books that i think are just tremendous that's john truby's anatomy of story and john york's into the woods into the woods especially i've read the second one and that's very good is, uh, because it's you know you can jump to any chat it's not like a progression you know anatomy of story is a kind of a progression you know and you and i suppose if you've read it and you're just like wanting to be reminded of stuff you can go back and forth 
but John York uh, specifically, you can really just delve into any chapter just for like I just need a I just need a reminder about these kind of things because that you know just reminding yourself of fundamentals and when you're trying to tell a story you know because sometimes you can focus too much on one thing and forget to do something and you're just like ah bollocks you know so always just remind yourself of the fundamentals and then just aside from that I watch a lot of YouTube stuff so lessons from the screenplay is tremendous uh, a lot of it started with Red Letter Media and they did you know became quite big through the the Star Wars pre they did a what was called the Mr. Plinkett reviews for Star Trek and then Star Wars Star Wars kind of blew them up and it basically revolutionized video essays especially for film and TV analysis so a lot of what you'll watch now is basically due to what they guys did and the, you know those Star Wars ones they're, they're entertaining whilst being like an education into filmmaking I'll, I'll 101. I'll some of these at the end of the podcast. Yeah. I'll get you to send me this stuff and yeah. we'll link it. They are, there, there was one you showed me, I think it might be the same guy, and it was about Jurassic Park. Yeah, that's Lessons from the theme, Screenplay. And yeah. that was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. And it really helped me. So yeah, Lessons from the Screenplay. Uh, and you did that one on theme about Jurassic Park, about characters being an extension of theme. And then they also he also did one about American Beauty. Which is one of my favourite films. It's actually, like, if I have, I don't really have a top ten because it's hard to have a top ten when you see so many films. Yeah. And I kind of, I kind of do. But my 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 top one is actually made up of like four. And American Beauty is one of those. And the principle, one of the principles of American Beauty, which is kind of taken from John Truby's and that may have story, is about your characters need to be an extension of the theme, and they need to kind of represent different aspects of the theme and be related to your main character yeah. which is what I tried really hard to do with Kim the problem with that is that I didn't really have a main protagonist in so, Kim yeah, you know what I mean because I kind of gave them all I think quite good little character moments and journeys you did, you did. without actually singling out one <laughs> specific person yeah. and a lot of feedback was like who's the main character and then initially I was like because the thing is, is that there are rules in screen, screenplays and storytelling and film, but sometimes, do you need a main character? And I was thinking about this, and I'm thinking, you know, who's the main character in 12 Angry Men? Who's the main character in Reservoir Dogs? Who's the main character in, again, one of my other favourites, LA Confidential? There isn't one, because there's three. You know, I mean, 12 Angry Men, you could say, was it Henry Fonda? Well, no, because he doesn't change. Yeah, no, you're right. The whoever it is, a juror number is it three or five who has the big emotional revelation. He's the one that goes through the biggest change. He goes through the emotional change, yeah. but he but he doesn't kick off the story. No, it's not about him. So there isn't really. Yeah, so yeah, then, yeah, that's a good, is that's it actually the boy that they're discussing? Really is he the protagonist? Yeah, you no. know what I mean. So oh, wow. I think it just I depends. It depends on the story. I think, and that's what I mean. Maybe as a problem with because I I have struggled a little bit with the shorter film writing See, I have I, too I, much I story I the opposite of it I find the short films a bit easier yeah I'm, I feel like maybe I'm good at sketches and I'm, I find it easier I struggle with the longer form that I've been, mm. I find writing a film was really hard I've I, I would say that I've noticed that about you is that you're like one minute and you're three minutes and that kind of stuff really good really snappy really funny really quite visual and I feel like with your longer stuff you just don't maybe necessarily have as good a grasp as you do that, that's, that's on the other it. stuff. That's partly about the grasp. Maybe I don't understand the arcs as well. Yeah. I think also is it's maybe that like more... I'm, I like write, tend to write contained things. Yeah. So set in maybe one or two locations, very simple, few characters talking, yeah. which is easy for shorts and it suits the short genre. But yeah, you're totally right. I don't have a grasp yeah. on the longer form stuff as much at the moment. Because I read your script for Just Ask Her. 
Yeah. And I was like, it's really good. You know, it's really it's one like, of my like, favorite. Love so scripts. I could feel, you know, in reading the script, I could feel the cuts. You know, I could feel yeah. like the Edgar Wright esque. Yeah, you know, like cuts image. and like contrast and shot here to shot there and bits like that. And I thought this is really quite good. But it's in the longer stuff. Shit, you know, <laughs> got that right on, on, on right there. Jesus, that, that cut deep. I hope you feel my pain through this. My my fans are not going to like you. <laughs> Uh, but, but I mean that, that that's just part of the learning process though isn't it I mean that's the yeah. you know I mean that's why probably actually is you know I mean it, it's good to actually be made to write short stuff you it, know it is and, and I think that, uh, my advice would be if you want to work in TV writing or you want to write you know features obviously even if you want to work in TV as a writer go and write a feature film and test yourself because I think there's a really good test of your abilities and, and knowing what you need to do yeah, it's a great challenge. As much as it stressed me out, and you know, the script could be better, as you say. I, I mean, I haven't read your feature script, okay. so I can't comment. Better just a joke, Jimmy. God, I didn't actually think it was shit. I mean, <laughs> it does have a lot of uh, work needed. Just get a real anyway, so obviously, we ask everyone that comes on: Is there a part-time job you'd had in the past, or just an, any job that you'd had to do to support, you know, your art or anything? Like, have you got any good stories on that? Any, any, any horror jobs? Not really. I mean, because I've actually only really had four jobs. My first ever job was as a paper boy, which I got when I was like 10. And so, I mean, that was just, I mean, that was great. I did my morning round uh, before school. I did my afternoon round uh, after uh, school. I uh, had my Saturday morning round and sometimes <laughs> I did the Sunday morning round. Yeah, I used to deliver papers as well. And so when you're ten, when you're ten or eleven, and you're getting thirty pounds a week, it's like ching. I know it's so much. Eh? Oh, man, you're like, oh, twenty pounds. It's like equivalent of like three hundred pounds or yeah. something. I mean, to be honest, for the actual, uh, when it translates to the uh, pay to hour of work, pretty fucking good. <laughs> because it only took me like twenty five minutes to do my round. <laughs> but I mean, I mean, so I mean, I would always get up at half past six in the morning for that, which was fine. I mean, that's why I, I generally like trying to get up in the mornings. I'm not very good at it now. I still have to for my job because I have to be on site for eight o'clock usually. But that, I mean, there were times when that was like brutal because whether it's pissing with rain or snowing, you still have to go out and do it. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's just people, people still want their paper. I said that I had a summer job and then for my third year at uni, worked at Domino's. That wasn't, it wasn't, it was just classic, you know, a bit boring or a bit tedious. Mm. Or if it was busy, you know, like a two for Tuesday, it could be a bit nuts. I loved the two for Tuesday back then. Uh, but it wasn't, there was there was nothing horrific from it. I did do a Christmas job at Mountain Warehouse, which that was 2010. That was the year of the snow. Oh, yeah. And that I was, that. yeah, that was mental. So basically... You know, it's actually 10 years today since that big snow started. Yeah. You know why I know that? Why? Because I built an igloo and it came up on Facebook and it was 10 years <laughs> since that. Sorry, I went not interrupt you. <laughs> Um, talking shit about <laughs> <laughs> and my first day was the like the day after that snow came and it was basically like, like I wasn't trained I was I basically arrived on the job and they said right go surf people <laughs> and I was there like, oh fuck just everyone in there trying to get wellies and shovels and ski jackets and stuff <laughs> and I'm just like oh like no idea really what I'm doing I'm just sort of making up as I go along but then when, when you're thrown in the deep end like that then I mean, you kind of pick stuff up really quick yeah. But I mean, there was, again, there was nothing awful from that. There was no, like, listen to like Matt Boyle, like, burning his arm off and, you know, that type. Dressing his horror jobs. I, I didn't have anything like that. I mean, I suppose just what I do now, 
fit in bathrooms. It's more just a case of maybe if, if the customer's a nightmare or if there's stuff going wrong with like getting deliveries and that kind of stuff. So yeah, it just it just, just depends on how smooth the job goes. If, if stuff has gone wrong on the delivery point of view, but we've never really, I mean, we've had, you know, stuff that gets delayed and it's a bit of a pain in the arse. We've never had something that's proper horror story. We did have a job uh, recently where it's just a bit like, oh my god, this is getting a bit ridiculous now. But we fortunately had the time to kind of rectify it. And it's just more if, if customers are a fucking nightmare. But we've not had anybody that bad mm. for a long time. You know, it's just more because you're working for someone and you have to be professional and that kind of stuff and just... You know, a, a lot of people just don't know certain yeah. things. And so they're just asking you questions. But sometimes they can just ask questions in a way that you just want to say, are you fucking crazy? I had one, one customer who was, they were really lovely. And they could be at the same time, like, like really, like, quite crabby and quite rude and that kind of stuff. And they were one time bitching about this, the new shower that we put in. And water would sometimes drip from the, the shower head after it had been turned on. And you're just kind of thinking, well, what do I say to that? It's like, <laughs> there's water inside the, the shower head and gravity's pulling the water down. And, oh, no. you know, and they're just like, oh, yes, but the, the previous one never did that. And it's just like, well, I don't know what to fucking tell you. Don't sit at the toilet staring at the shower head, you know, obsessing over this water dripping. I don't know what to tell you. It's just, yeah, it, it, it's not a big deal. There are times it's it can be really exhausting my job. At the same time, I'm moving around a lot. I'm you know I'm at a job every two weeks. I'm not stuck in an office nine till five. But it's really physical and can be really exhausting. And when you come home, it can be difficult when you're like I've got to do this thing for my masters. I'm looking forward to next semester when it's going to be writing. But when you're having to do the market analysis and that kind of stuff when you've just been at work, you're just a bit like. I think for a certain reason I quite like to ask this question is it can be funny but I think it's also good for people at the start of their career in the arts and stuff to hear the sort of jobs people are doing and just the normal, yeah. more normal jobs you could say or you know real jobs as to you know real to put a pun on the on the podcast name but like you know it's just interesting to hear so if, I mean I'm, I'm glad you'd shared yeah. the different experience of it well great Thanks very much for coming on the podcast. Yeah, you, pleasure. I know we could have spoke for even longer. Um, yeah. yeah, loads to say, and I'm sure we can speak again in the future. But before we sort of wrap up, do you have any tips you would give to anyone who wants to get into screenwriting or who is a screenwriter from your perspective you'd like to share? Well, con constantly watch stuff. Uh, you know, maybe force yourself to watch stuff that's really bad because you can learn just as much from stuff that's bad, you know, than stuff that's brilliant. Because if you watch stuff that's brilliant, you just think, how the fuck am I ever going to do that? <laughs> but if you watch stuff that's terrible and you're, you know, maybe tracking, you're like, oh, the character's going to do this now and they don't do that. And you're like, wait, why Why would they do that? You know, that's great because then you can learn, you know, that's what Nigel, you know, our course tutor, like, he says that a lot of people who do this degree and that kind of stuff or who want to go into script writing, they'll be script readers. And when you read a lot of scripts, especially bad ones, you know, you really pick up on how to do story and that kind of stuff. So watch, you know, don't just watch the classics. Watch shit stuff. If you've got certain films that are your favourites, you know, read the scripts for those because scripts are written in a way that's not necessarily conventional. You know, uh, we, we grow up with books, you know, for most of our lives until we decide to stop reading them. And you don't write scripts that way. So read scripts so that you can see 
how it translates from that page to visually, especially yeah. something like Edgar Wright, who's so visual. You know, you just his see. scripts are fantastic. Yeah, because you'll see because you you think there's so many cuts and so many shots, and you're like, fucking hell, like how did they write that? And they're like, oh right, they just wrote it like this, one sentence. So do that. You know, watch YouTube people who you know have a really good grasp of this stuff and present stuff to you in a way that you know you might remember or you just you really enjoy because I think it's important to. If you can be educated whilst being entertained, and that's what's so great about YouTube. And, you know, do and read or like about other thing, other interests. Don't just focus on film. Like if, if you're interested in, like, like I am, like history or politics or, you know, economics or just other stuff that you can incorporate into your film. Because, you know, if, if, if you're only, like, stuck on one kind of story that you're just constantly writing... You know, you're like, oh, I've written five scripts, but they're all basically the same fucking story because I actually, well, what are your interests? Oh, well, actually nothing. <laughs> well, so, you know, get more interests and then you'll have more things to put in your story. And then, so that's probably just from that point of view. And the other point of view is just actually take care of yourself. So get good sleep because good sleep is really important. Very important. Uh, you know, I think a lot of creatives are usually night intervals. You know, don't do that if you can. Get sleep, eat well, because, you know, eating well feeds the body and a healthy body is a healthy mind. Oh, so, nice, nice week quote there. Where did you, you know, get that original? I, I don't know. <laughs> I think it's right next to live, laugh, love. <laughs> so, no, I mean, honestly, like, take care of because like, especially no, creatives you, and directors. It's so important. It's like it's so, so, important. so few people that yeah. work in like the creative industry, like, yeah, no, are fitness that, people. That's eh? so true, because I found out in the summer when I wasn't looking after myself, I was spending every day stressed writing this script. I yeah. was miserable, and I was right, and my writing and my creativity is always better when I'm looking after myself. So, that's yeah. so true, Craig. Yeah, and you don't, yeah, you don't have to go to the gym and kill it. What? I mean, a lot of writers, what I mean, Colin McLaren. Walking is the best walking, you know. thing for me as a writer. Go for a walk. And you know what I'd advise? I love walking with music on. Yeah. But for if you want to come up with ideas, actually go for a walk without anything on and mm. just let your brain wander. Well, that's what we're saying about boredom and about yeah. being distracted. And that's, that's so true. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> and don't put too much pressure on yourself as well. Like, like don't be like, oh, I need to write eight hours. Otherwise, I'm just not going to make you it. You can write for 15 minutes a day and you might get enough exactly because exactly if you write 15 minutes a day it's better than writing eight hours one day every six months yeah so consistency and yeah take care of yourself that's that'd be my tips. Craig, that is i think that's some of the best advice we'd had so far on this podcast Thanks, uh, those, those tips are I, I say i say do that whilst we're on about gin and tonic number four well, you're allowed so. to cut this sometimes of course <laughs> especially in a moment of national emergency you know very stressful time Anyway, thanks, Craig. Well, thank you for having me, and I look forward to your other guests. I hope you enjoyed this week's episode of Just Get A Real Job. I'd like to thank Craig for coming on the podcast for a second time. I appreciate it. I really enjoyed our conversation. Now, Craig has kindly shared with us some of the resources he was talking about, so there's some really interesting YouTube videos under the podcast this week. So if you're interested in screenwriting or you just like film and stuff, check them out. They're really useful. As always, if you enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and family, like and subscribe all the usual stuff that goes a long way and helping us to you know grow this project because that's what we want to do we want to keep growing this project because we love doing it but anyway we'll be back again on tuesday with more episodes of just get a real job stay safe guys just get a real